Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the long and the short of it. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. How well do you know your wines? From the simple to the complex, from acidity to Zinfandel. Welcome to Wine, the long and the short of it. My name is Antonia Dominguez, the long. And my name is Linda Coogan, the short. Between us, we have over 30 years collective experience in wine buying, wine retail and wine education. Every week we discuss a topic, product or trend from the world of wine. What are your predictions for the future of wine for 2023, Antonia? Okay, so wine trends. This is, um, I love doing this actually, but... I have to start by saying that um, when you look back over the last couple of years, because obviously our current trends, our future trends are, are, are sort of an extrapolation of what's been going on over the last couple of years. Um, so, so it's we not had, like fast fashion? No, I mean, things don't change dramatically from one, you know, calendar year to the next. I think um, what COVID did was to accelerate pre-existing trends. So um, obviously COVID had a huge impact on, you know, consumer behavior in terms of buying wines. And I think when you look at those kind of that impact of COVID, it was really Mm -hmm. just to accelerate what was already going on. And I think what we're seeing now and what we will see is a sort of an extension of that. So um, I suppose I'll kick off with um, a few things. So I'll kick off with the shift or the trend towards no and low alcohol and um, I think the stats are really showing that there's been like a continuous growth in that direction. We have an overall decline in wine consumption um, driven by the fact that younger generations are kind of Gen Z are not as engaged or they're not as, well, maybe not okay, as so engaged. Sorry, is not the right word. Gen term. Z again? Gen Z, basically the younger demographic, right? Um, I think it's the 18 to 34 year olds. Oh no, they're... I'm not quite sure what the cohort is, but they're the younger demographic and they are people who are into sort of like, you know, they're into sustainability as they should be. They're into, um, you know, the coffee culture or into, you know, the new innovative products that are on the scene, like hard okay. seltzers and, um, you know, or TDs, okay. you know, the ready to drink drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, so wine consumption overall has been seeing a decline in a lot of the major markets, but those who are um, buying wine are more engaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So definitely notice that. Yeah. You're either drinking or uh, you're not drinking. And if you're not drinking, you're having, you're expecting more from your, from your non-alcoholic options, I suppose. Aren't you really like, you know, and you don't want just crappy old yeah. any old stuff you're actually looking for options and not just one option a couple of options hmm. um which is which is great like and i i think it's a market that absolutely needs to be tapped into a hundred percent um the only time i never drank was when i was expecting my children um apart from that i you know because there is a huge process gone into taking alcohol out of wine and that's something we will absolutely be talking about in the future but it you know it's not a cheaper alternative to drinking alcohol mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And I think the US and the UK are leaders in terms yeah. of the innovation that's going on mm-hmm. with the kind of products. I mean, there's so such an array with cocktails and hard seltzers and hard teas and kombucha, hard kombuchas they call it. Um, there's 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 all sorts out in the market. You know, um, depends on where you are. Mm-hmm. You know how how much is on offer. Yeah. But I think you know generally the market is going in that direction. Um, and I suppose as part of that. We are seeing, and as part of the whole sustainability theme, and we'll touch back, touch on the, the sustainability piece in a minute, and um, the alternative formats, you know, yeah. and you, you know this better than anyone because you were doing a piece on this for radio recently. I had to do a lot of research. You did. I had to drink a lot of canned and Ca- different and pouches types of- and all sorts of things. Yes, I did. I do um, it for you all. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, take me for the team, Linda. Yeah. Um, I do. Yeah, I do think there's a, lo- a lot of interesting stuff going on. So canned wines, obviously bag and boxes are part of that and um, the pouches. So I don't know. What, what is your take on that? Because I know you did a bit of research on that. I, I did. I mean, like, to be honest with you, the whole canned wine thing, it is definitely a mindset of getting your head around the fact that you're actually drinking from a can. And for me, you know, my everyday go-to wine would be a bottle of wine that I would have over a couple of evenings. It's not a go-to can of of wine in the fridge or in Mm -hmm. in the press or the cupboard, whatever you want to call it. Um, But for me, it's it's a category that's extremely uh, interesting and it's, it's absolutely going to grow. And I thought it was really fascinating what Waitrose, uh, the UK uh, premium supermarket, did recently. They removed all of their um, small glass format bottles. Uh, you know, the little quarter bottles that you get. I think they're around 187. I think they're about, they are 187 <laughs> mil bottles, um, little quarter bottles. Yep. And they are just, they've replaced them all with cans. Mm. Now, not... Wines like Champagne or Cava or particular wines that like Rioja that have restrictions. That they're not allowed to do that. But for their Sauvignon Blanc, for the Pinot Grigio, their Malbec and Chardonnay, they have changed the format that they're, that they're you know, mm-hmm. having their shelf space. And I think that that is incredible. Fast- yeah, like, is, it's yeah. amazing. And now, I don't think that everybody, like you said, the UK and America are leading the way with this. And I think that that is absolutely true. I think... It takes a while for people to get their head around this. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's a prediction, but it's also something that's a, a long time coming, I think. And yeah. hopefully people will change picnics, festivals, you know, garden parties, whatever, like give totally. it a go and, you know, explore it. Yeah. And there's there's this statistic that I found. So ready to drink RTD volumes have been growing faster than any sorry, other major... RTD? Ready to drink. Oh, sorry. So they're your cans or whatever, your pouches. Okay. And they can be like the cocktail mixes. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the hard seltzers. They can be, you know, wine cocktails, whatever, Mm -hmm. or just wines. Um, Have been growing faster than any other major drinks category since 2018 and are expected to significantly outperform the wider beverage alcohol market from about 4% in 2020 over the following five years, increasing their share to 8% by 2025. Like that's double growth. That's pretty big. That is actually crazy numbers, isn't it? Yeah. Now, you know, you're more of a stats person than me, but I actually did come across this one about cans as well. Mm -hmm. And it was done by a marketing firm, Grandview Research. And they reported that uh, the canned wine market was valued at 235 
million sales in 2021 and its forecasted growth is over 570 million by 2028. Mm, yeah, like huge million. Like we're talking, yeah. you know, that's massive. Yeah. Um. So again, it it you know it'll be a while, a while, a wine, a wine, a while before <laughs> it it becomes completely global and that. But yeah. again, as you said, you know, we have to look across the waters and see, you yeah. know, what's going on. Okay, so we have no, no, no and low alcohol. and cans. We have alternative formats. Mm-hmm. We have ready to drinks. Uh, ready to drink. Formats. I predict what else. So, crystal ball. Okay, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we're looking to. I think the 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 market in general, and obviously, we're trying to take an overview, a global overview, an overview of markets that are familiar to us. But obviously, there are exceptions to the rule. But generally speaking, I think people are looking to other regions. Um for quality, for value, um, and they are more engaged with and more interested in sort of indigenous grapes and, and sort of varietal wines that are, you know, based on indigenous grapes. So, for example... So not your, your classic Sauvignon Pinot Grigio, something a bit more Or not, more not just your international grape varieties that are planted and, um, you know, making wines in any region because they are commercially recognisable, but more about grape varieties from that region and there's more engagement. And I think this is a little bit of a, I think this is a bit of a result of as well, the sort of the COVID effect because uh-huh. during COVID there was more interaction, there was more virtual tastings, there was more interaction between consumers and different market segments of the trade, say, so like do you have, you know, wine educators and importers and you know, all sorts, um, all segments of the market hosting and holding these wine events virtually. Mm-hmm. And it it gave consumers an opportunity to kind of engage and to ask questions and to sort of Meet really people. Yeah, yeah. yeah but also yeah. just get more informed mm-hmm. and and develop this interest. And as a result, I think that people have and obviously there was a little bit of premium premiumization during COVID. So people were spending a little bit more because they weren't going out. So they yeah. weren't pay- paying money for meals and they weren't paying um, Horeca prices or restaurant prices for wines. So they were spending a bit more and they were getting a bit more informed and engaged. And I think that that is a trend that will continue, especially now with all the problems we're seeing with uh, rising cost of living, and all sorts of problems with supply of sort of the classic grapes and the classic regions. Sorry, I shouldn't say the classic grapes, the classic regions. So Chablis, you know, Burgundy, Bordeaux um, and huge, huge problems in terms of logistics, huge, you know, increase in fuel costs and so on. So now we're seeing people looking to where they can get value and they can get value in other regions like Portugal, like maybe, I don't know, Greece, Austria, Romania, like Eastern Europe. Question, yeah, you're question. You're putting your hand yeah, up like question. I'm in school or something. <laughs> um, mm. So do you think that these indigenous native grapes are going to be able to be like a global, um, I don't know what word to use, that they'll be able to sell internationally all over the world? Because Is there enough of them? I think there's the potential. It depends, obviously, Obviously, look, the one thing about the wine market is it's very fragmented. So you have, what I mean by that is you have a, a market that has everything from really large producers with huge mm-hmm. market shares to small boutique producers that have very small productions. Of course. And yeah. so 
I think, um, obviously, like, you know, you can't get everything in every market and of it depends course. on how far reaching, but I think they have the potential, certainly with the, the bigger wine producing countries and regions to, to, to reach. I mean, when you think about it, like, like oh, I mean, what have we seen recently sort of in Western Europe? We've seen the rise of sort of Godellos from Spain. That's Godello an, for anyone who doesn't yeah. speak Spanish. <laughs> um, we're seeing the rise of sort of from Catalonia, you know, Garnacha Blanca and Charolo. And I know that those grape varieties reach markets like Australia and the US. Okay. You know, I know that wine, that sort of wine importers come on recce's to Spain for those grape varieties and wines that are made from indigenous grape varieties I think the same of um, sort of Italy, mm-hmm. like we have seen in, in where we are in Ireland, Fianos, Falanginas, yeah. Aglianicos, Grillos. And Grapes that like literally and are, are nowhere else. No, and they, they come from, else, yeah. you know, they come from Campania, which is a southern region in Italy. And, you know, you would think, oh God, a little backwater sort of you know, small, small territory possibly. But I mean, if it can reach a small market like Ireland, I can be sure it's reaching, you know, you know, markets further afield. Yeah. Yeah. And come here to me, I I might be wrong with this now, but Sicily, uh, wine producing, producing wise, um, produces nearly as much as Australia. Is that true still? I don't know about that. I'm not sure. That was a fact that I used to teach a few years ago. I haven't looked it up now, but like Sicily for like a little island, like Italy is a huge producing country. I don't have the stats, so I'll check that. But um, I find that, sorry, just to touch on that. I find this one an interesting one because we often have this perception that only the really well known international grape varieties they must be the ones that are most grown Selling and, and yet yeah, we yeah. know this this is always a question that comes up like what is the the most planted white grape variety Aaron. in the world Aaron. Aiden 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 <laughs> a white Not- grape from Spain and nobody would know what it is exactly yeah, yeah so yeah. therefore we can't assume that because these grape varieties or regions are relatively smaller and known that they can't they don't have far reaching you know possibilities mm-hmm. and when you talk about Sicily I'm thinking of like Cataracto. Up the coast of Italy. Six hour boat trip. Name okay. that song. I don't know. What? We didn't start a fire. Is it not Billy Joel? Is that in that? I think so. Oh God. That's... We didn't start a fire. Yeah, but okay. I don't remember Sicily in that. Anyway, and I love that song and there's great <laughs> lyrics. Um, Sorry about that. Cataracto is like the workhouse <gasps> oh, grape there. Yeah, but you see, Cataracto is a grape. Into... Yeah, but you see, Cataracto is a grape that when I worked in retail like 10 years ago, we had a Cataracto. Yeah. I thought it was one of the most beautiful, interesting Stunning grapes. And I hand sell, sold that to people and they loved it. And they were like, can we get another one? I'm like, no, we have one. You know, that that is it in the Irish market. But, it, you know, all over the world, there might be more of them. There might be. But I, I suspect that it's still only sort of early days. But still like Sicily, um, when we talk about Sicily, Nerello Mascalesi is another great grape. Great grape. A great grape. <laughs> it's kind of Pinot Noir-esque. In sort of being light oh, I think it'd be a and bit more and fruit yeah, forward. supple, supple, supple. supple. It yeah, hasn't got the complexity or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, a, of a good Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, so there's brilliant options out there. And okay. I just think that consumers are going to get more and more engaged in. A in little bit, if, but again, you're not going to get this in supermarkets. Hang on a minute. Oh, uh, oh, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to oh. be a little bit um, argumentative here. I but love no. it. <laughs> no, but I mean, um, little Sal. Uh, Acertico from Greece. Okay. 
And I seen like ferments from uh, Hungary, still wines. Okay. All sorts of random things that you go, my God. And I, I like, I, I, I have my hand up again. I'm like, how what? long are they going to last? I want I consumers know. to embrace it, try it, give it a go. Like if these are on your doorstep, okay, so we're talking internationally in the whole wide world, global population, but we're in Ireland doing this podcast right now. And we are so lucky, I think, to have such an array of wines from all over the world on our doorstep. And other countries are, you know, like explore and discover different, different grapes that you might find. And I would just say to people, if it's on your doorstep, knock on the door and try it. Yeah. And I think that people will. And I think they've started to. They will. And so that's one of my Yeah, that's, it's not a prediction. It's a hope and dream it's for hope, me for but I, people I think, to try it. Yeah. yeah. But I do think there has been a trend in that direction. Cool. Um. So so let's hope it, it, it lasts. Yeah. Okay. It'd be great. We actually spent ages in that, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> so now in terms of trends, okay. this, is, this would be my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think that people are conscious of organic and buying organic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think... Um, The stats support that. So according to the Global Organic Wine Market Report in 2020, um, the organic wine market was grow was due to grow or was 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 projected to be growing um by 5.23 billion, which I think represented 8% uh, during 2020 and 2024. Right. So it's a it's 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 a big stat, right? So it's a big growth for organic, and I think everything supports organic and and I've seen it on the ground where you know consumers come into to stores and they actively ask for organic wines it but do they know the what time. they're buying do they know what they're looking for um no what they're looking for is um organic well it depends on the consumer but I have met with consumers who say um I'd like, I want an organic wine because I think it's healthier. Mm-hmm. I met uh, a girl recently in one of the stores who said, um, have you got a section with just organic wines? And I said, um, well, lots of the wines on the on the shelves are organic. Are you looking for something in particular? Is there a particular? I said, really, we don't have it. We don't have it separated mm-hmm. because there's that many wineries now making organic wines. And even if they're not certified organic... They are practicing organic and etc. So I got into a conversation with this girl and she said to me that she felt that because um, she was slightly sensitive to sulfites that she needed to buy organic wines. Okay. And then I ended up telling her about our podcast. Listen to our episode. Listen to our episode about organic biodynamic. Anyway, the point is that People are actively asking for organic. I'm not so sure. And I think growth is is going in that direction. I'm not so sure when it comes to biodynamic and natural that that is the case. I mean, I don't think consumers know the difference between organic and biodynamic. And I think natural wines is really uh, a sketchy one insofar as there's no definition as to what is natural wines. So it's very hard to measure if there's growth or if there's not growth. So that's where we are. I think people are certainly more interested in sustainability. And as our friend Andrea Piero Pan said, sustainability is more important and it's an easier concept for consumers to get their heads around. And it's farther reaching, covering more than just the materials or the methods used to make the wine. It encompasses the packaging, you know, the energy use in the winery, the company culture, connecting with communities and so on. And I think... 
definitely there is much more awareness when it comes to sustainability and and yeah, and I think that is the trend. And talking about predictions, I think that's where we're going. I think it's going to be all about sustainability and whether that's packaging or, you know, the, the winery behind it and so on. I think it's going to become really important. Okay, agree. I'm not sure I agree completely with you there that, you know, everyone's mindful of it and all the rest. But I think after the pandemic, people are more mindful of what they're doing and what they're wasting by doing unnecessary. Don't take unnecessary journeys. Of course. I think we need to be, you know, mindful of what we are enjoying and um, and and thinking about consuming. I do think, I just, I, I agree. It's not something that anybody wants to get too militant about or that all consumers are aware mm-hmm. of at this point. But I just think that generally producers are getting behind it and gradually consumers are getting behind it. I do think it's the younger generations driving the awareness, um, you know, but I think it's just slowly, slowly going in that direction. So, um, yeah, I think we will all be getting behind that. And maybe that is also wishful thinking on my part. But I do, I, th- I think the general global trends support that in a big way. And that's reflected in the statistics for ready to drink alternative formats and all of that. And mm-hmm. then move towards no and low and all of those things, I think, are part Okay, so tell me about this. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, low red wines yeah okay so i'm often asked for recommendations for you know non-alcoholic red wines and i can't give one for me sparkling and white sorry did you say non-alcoholic well non-alcoholic first yeah i I cannot give at the moment of the wines i've tasted a recommendation for a good quality non-alcoholic red wine Mm -hmm. can't wait to try one that i can happily recommend i haven't tried one yet Um, But low alcohol red, people are screaming for things like that. And what I would say is, you know, you need to look for cooler climate. You need to look for vineyards that are higher elevation and that grapes that are picked earlier to get that. And that can compromise flavor and all sorts of different things. But, um, you know, again, you're not going to go into your supermarket and be able to say, oh, here's one that I've spotted. You need to make form relationships which is leading me to something else, mm-hmm. which is leading me to not a prediction, but a hope for the future that people will start being more um, kind of community focused. And they'll like, I remember, I'm, I'm talking about nearly 20 years ago, um, that I used to go to wine suppers and they were literally a wine representative from some company. I don't know what they were trying to sell. They never sold me a bottle of wine. I just had the most lovely evening. Everyone arrived, everyone had a glass of wine. We all sat at long tables and we all got like a supper, rice or pasta or whatever it was, dish, sat down together, listened to someone talk about wine and we all enjoyed wine and chatted together. And it was just a really enjoyable social thing. And I think sometimes wine can become too snooty, too serious, too in your face that you have to know. And if you don't know, you know nothing. And I think wine is all about culture and sharing experiences and your travels. And the more people you meet who are into wine, the more you can expand as a person and learn more from other people. That's nothing to do, anything to do with this predictions. But I just hope it's a kind of hope from of, of mine that people will learn from each other and share experiences about wine. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I think that's a lovely sentiment behind that. 
Um, and I think all of us who love wine and who are in this world of wine, um, huge part of it is that connection, that yeah, bond. Connection. It's the serving a bottle and sharing a bottle yeah. and and enjoying it together and all the memories it conjures up for us all, you know, in terms of meal times and family mm. times and mm-hmm. times of friends and times like, like I've got a few, a few bottles that are not being opened until the right people are there to yeah. actually appreciate Gorgeous. it yeah. you know that way and totally. it's like going, going back to what you said originally you said um, you know about uh, you know low alcohol red wines I think generally the trend has been and will continue to be a move towards lighter uh, bodied lower alcohol reds so we're mm-hmm. talking about brighter juicier yeah. styles of red mm-hmm. and we've talked about this before and I I think that um, there are other things going on in terms of, say, rosé wines are not just a phenomenon or like peak at, at, at springtime and summertime. No. We're seeing sales of rosé go up all year round. I have to mention as well, sparkling wine. Sparkling wine has seen a resurgence as well. It's It's been growing in the last year. Well, in 2022, it started to sort of um, grow in sales as well and champagne in particular which never had a huge problem selling but has seen a sort of a, a major kind of a surge in, in sales especially in the UK market English sparkling wine was in the UK was through the roof last year um, so sparkling wine seems to have uh, be seeing a bit of a comeback um, and the other thing is wine on tap was one I wanted to mention um, we've seen a lot of restaurants and bars and so on installing wine on tap. And there's a great, like, I suppose there's a great reason behind it. And there's a great, it's a great idea. If the quality is there, I think it's a great idea. Que- mm. Go on, tell mm-hmm. us what you know about mm-hmm. wine on tap. No, but just if the quality is there. Yeah. Sometimes in places that may serve wine on tap, do you think it's about quantity rather than quality? I do now. I don't think it's quite there yet. I mm-hmm. think it has potential. When I think about an importer who is, um, you know, a distributor of the wine on tap concept, mm-hmm. I think that they are limited because I've been an importer and an exporter and everything in between. And I, <laughs> and I think about how difficult it would be for me to find a winery. Yeah. And obviously Spain was my speciality. And is my speciality, but that's where I worked with lots of wineries. I would have found it incredibly difficult to find a winery that could facilitate me yeah. buying these tiny mini tanks of wine to ship to, to quickly sell to, to quickly yeah. with all the relevant mater- like equipment yeah. to you know to but to ship to yeah, to, yeah, to supply yeah. me with yeah. to, to to be able to you know um, put their wine in that container yeah whatever wine it is. And then, you know, and with all the, and and so for me, it means, God, there's very few wineries that can do that now. So you're limited and I question how, like where the quality is and who's doing it. And maybe I just don't know enough about it. I don't think it's developed enough at this point, but I think it's got great potential, especially in a world where we're trying to drink greener and cleaner, where the logistics costs come down. 
Um, and and well, it know, has to be a fast moving product in a it, high volume place that you're well, going to be able to get through yeah, wine to, it to serve it, etc. It, do, it does because like it has this to be a wine a controversial topic this that is, okay. might have to be moved into. Okay, we'll move topic. into. We have mm-hmm. wine controversy. I, I have up. lots of controversy okay, that great. I want to explore with you, Italian. Okay, great. I'm looking forward. Okay, I'm going to end this on one last. Okay. Um, prediction if you don't mind unless you have something to add I have a million things to add but we have like a million more episodes to actually you know I'm going to say entertain our listeners with I predict I predict this I predict a riot I was gonna say (laughs) I predict um, a rise in sherry sales this year no, no, don't say no, that. No, no, I actually am okay, maybe it's, saying that. Maybe it's wishful thinking. With you, but maybe. With you. With you. You see, can okay. I can I support oh, my on, findings? Go on. You're fine. Maybe it's wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. But Bibendum released, they always do every year, their top 10 wine trends to look out for. And in 2023, they said... Antonia will drink more <laughs> sherry <laughs> than anyone. So we not will quite. surpass our sales. <laughs> not quite. They said that their number of Manzanilla listings have almost doubled. Manzanilla, we know, is the alternative to Fino. Well, it's the same as Fino, but it comes from San Luca, near, nearer to the coast we of Hedeth. And, and it's lighter and it's a bit more saline. Anyway, they said that, that their number of Manzanilla listings have almost doubled and it's now listed in one out of three restaurants in the UK. Wow. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's actually huge. Okay, I think that's sorry. huge. Yeah, 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 that yeah, gives me yeah. hope. That gives me hope. That gave me Joanna, Joanna give me. Okay, so no, this isn't a music. I think we have to start a whole music podcast. Oh, my God. All the, all the songs that we try to <laughs> attempt to sing. Um, wow. That's actually yeah. very. Isn't it big? Exciting stuff. Well, it's for you. promising. Promising. It's hopeful. Um, I, I have so many more things that I would actually love to get into, but I mean, they're not necessarily predictions. They're just kind of hopes and dreams and wishes. Well, that's why we're the here. future of wine. And I think that uh, we have lots of. Well, we're not going ent- anywhere. We'll be here for many an ep- episode to fill. I love so it. Uh, yeah. No, I will. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Yes. As always, we love hearing from you. We would love you to uh, review and rate our wine yeah. And reach podcast. out to us with any topic oh my you'd God. like us yeah, to talk please. about. Yeah, well, we, you know, God, we love hearing from you. So it's fantastic to get an email to ourwinepodcast at gmail.com. And we're on most of the social media networks as well. So pop us a message or whatever you fancy. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed our predictions for 2023 and listen in for the next 12 months (laughs) (laughs) to know our predictions for 2024. (laughs) Thanks, folks. Cheers. You have been listening to Wine, The Long and the Short of It with me, Antonia Dominguez. And me, Linda Coogan, in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. 